throughout the coronavirus pandemic, I bet a lot of you have been glued to news websites. Me too, the BBC of course, uh, the Times, the New York Times. You've got to have trusted news sources after all, and not rely on rumours spread by someone's uncle from Skegness. But there's another website I've been on every single day throughout the pandemic, often several times a day, which I suppose can't be healthy. And I've been tweeting about it too. It's a webcam site which shows you webcams in the great cities of the world and I've been looking every day at the empty streets in Italy and yes at first looking at a vast and empty St Mark's Square I couldn't help thinking that the Venetians might be glad to have their city back to have it free at last from annoying tourists and those huge damaging cruise ships but then As the days went by, and the death toll, of course, went up, my perception of these images began to change. At first, like I said, they were weird and strange, but then they became eerie and frightening. Especially if you click on the view of Rome's Piazza Navona at night and see it's deserted, lit up by this quiet lamplight. Or if you zoom in on the lonely trickling of the Trevi Fountain. Now, I've been stricken with indecision these past few days, maybe even a a mild depression, not able to concentrate on my work at all. I think maybe it's because I'm lazy, but I think it's because my work is so similar to what's in the news. A lot of the planning for coronavirus is similar, obviously, to planning for nuclear war because they share a lot of similarities. They're both about gearing up the NHS to deal with A huge influx of casualties. They're both about clearing the schools, um, emptying the prisons of some prisoners. They're about maintaining law and order. There are obvious similarities. So that's my excuse for why this podcast is late and why I've just not been able to concentrate because I'm in the house, socially distancing, not isolating, thankfully, neither David nor I are ill. But of course, socially distancing, not going out, not seeing people. And I... I don't want to sound like I'm complaining, I'm just explaining why the podcast is late. I feel that there's no um, respite for me. My work is similar to what I'm seeing in the news, so if I want any kind of escape from it, I need to stop working completely. Of course, that's not an option in long term. I've got podcasts to do and I've got a book deadline coming up. But anyway, I've been very sluggish, very slow, very pathetic and very indecisive, and I couldn't even settle on the idea of a podcast episode. But... Looking at these webcams and looking at the empty streets gave me an idea. And that is a podcast episode on the neutron bomb. And why? Well, because the neutron bomb is a nuclear weapon which doesn't produce the incredible blast and heats and firestorms we know so well from normal nuclear weapons. Instead, the neutron bomb is designed to lessen the explosive effect but crank up, horribly, the radiation. So with our ordinary nukes, it's all about blast, power, heat, flash, and the radiation is almost a side effect. But with a neutron bomb, it works the other way around. The main deal here is the lethal, enhanced burst of radiation. And that's why it came to mind when I looked at these webcams showing me deserted streets. Because a neutron bomb war would leave much of a city completely intact, but it would kill the people. In a neutron bomb attack, Rome would look pretty similar as it currently does with these webcam images. The Trevi Fountain would still trickle, but its water 
would be contaminated and there would be no one around to toss coins into its crystal depths. So, the neutron bomb. The explosive effects, as we've said, were minimised and the radiation cranked right up to the max. Some neutron bombs could emit 10 times as much radiation as an ordinary nuclear bomb of equivalent yield. Because these things throw out massive amounts of radiation whilst leaving buildings and property relatively intact, the Soviets nicknamed it the Capitalist Bomb. Didn't stop them acquiring one, though. Now, let's look at the objections to the neutron bomb. Of course, there have always been people who objected to ordinary atomic bombs and ordinary hydrogen bombs. Of course, we all know that. But the neutron bomb, when it was first thought of and first created and first deployed, invoked a particularly strong objection from people, not just from activists, but also from various governments. There was a particular distaste for this bomb which seemed to just zoom in on people. was keeping all the property and all the buildings and all the kit and gear that an enemy might want to gather up after a bomb nice and safe. So yes, we're all frightened and awed and horrified by the atomic bomb and, to right, the hydrogen bomb. But there was a special level of disgust reserved for this neutron bomb. I suppose it seemed to go against the rules of war and the very basic human notion of fighting, which is, I clobber you and you clobber me. The neutron bomb seemed like a sneaky weapon. It seemed like an evil magician who tricks you. All along in this war, you were looking out for fire and explosions. But this neutron bomb failed to deliver either of those and he goes another way instead when you're not looking. He sends out a silent and invisible death. Or, if we look at it another way, imagine two kids fighting with water pistols. And then one of them whips out a futuristic death ray which zaps everyone. And you think, hey, no fair, that's not how we play. If we look at the Times newspaper, they seemed to agree in having a particular horror of this new bomb. In a very strongly worded editorial from 1978, they refer to the bomb as a monster. I'll read you the first paragraph. The neutron bomb, which Mr Callahan discussed in the House of Commons on Tuesday, is a very unpleasant weapon indeed. It can be given slightly more reassuring titles, such as reduced blast weapon, or, more commonly, enhanced radiation weapon, but it remains a monster by any name. It kills and maims by radiation, which means that people between about 500 and 1,000 metres from its explosion die very slowly, while those further away are liable to be permanently damaged in a number of nasty ways. On a battlefield, it could leave soldiers with damaged brains still physically able to operate weapons before dying. It is not a weapon which should be deployed without careful consideration and proper respect for the revulsion it arouses in anyone with ordinary human feelings. But what place do ordinary human feelings have in war? 
The Times editorial, of course, is not a soppy Facebook post urging us to live, laugh, love and dance in the rain. And so it doesn't just go on about how bad and nasty those neutron bombs are. No, unlike the live, laugh, love brigade, there is nuance here. And so the editorial goes on to point out that even though the weapon may be a monster... There are various benefits this monster brings to the concept of deterrence. Consider the Soviets. They had tried to seem superior and moral by calling the neutron bomb a capitalist weapon, one designed to kill the people whilst preserving property. The Times said that argument could just as easily be turned on its head by saying the bomb would kill capitalists whilst preserving the means of production. There's some nuance for you. It's not a case of killing the baddies or killing the goodies. And anyway, the Times argued the Soviets didn't pretend to despise the bomb because it killed workers. No, they feared it because of their military strategy. If the Soviets had ever tried to invade Western Europe, they would have relied heavily on tanks. They couldn't outspend the USA on nuclear weapons, but they had a gazillion more tanks than NATO and would set those bad boys running across Western Europe in any war. They therefore hated the neutron bomb because it would silence their tanks by blasting the crews inside them with radiation. In order to escape being caught in the massive radiation burst of a neutron bomb attack, those tanks would need to spread themselves out social distancing, you could call it. But this would make them less effective because the Soviet strategy was to keep the tanks in close formations. So therefore, the West might be quite keen to use the neutron bomb if war started because it would block the Soviets. They would start the conventional war, so the thinking went, by sending in the tanks. NATO couldn't hope to match them with tanks, so we could deploy a neutron bomber too, to stop those tanks. And what's more, the decision to actually use the neutron bomb might be easy to make. Easier, certainly, than the decision to drop a whopping great thermonuclear bomb on West Germany. Yes, that might stop the tanks, certainly, but it would also devastate a vast area and potentially kill millions of people. The neutron bomb, as we know, is not so destructive in terms of blast and hellfire. It's a tactical weapon. It's designed to be targeted on, as we said, tanks. It's not designed to take out a whole city. So why not just throw one in amongst all those racing Soviet tanks? There simply wasn't the same nuclear taboo around the neutron bomb as we have with atomic and hydrogen bombs. So therefore, it might be morally and politically and militarily easier to use the thing. Ah, but some people would argue, but if you use the neutron bomb, you will tip us into nuclear war. Because surely, if one side uses a neutron bomb, then the other retaliates, and then the other hits back with something bigger, and we all know how that story ends up. But maybe not, argued the Times, because, and I quote here, A deterrent that is more likely to be used is a more effective deterrent than one 
which is too terrible to use. Well, that, um, as they say, it blew my mind slightly. I had to chew on that for quite a while. There is so much crammed into that one line of argument, isn't there? We all know how nuclear deterrence works, and we all know that it does work. We know this because there hasn't ever been a nuclear war. Those hideous weapons have never been used in conflict since 1945. So yes, deterrence works. It must work because we're still here. The dread, the absolute dread of nuclear war has prevented us, deterred us, from using them. That's how the deterrence argument goes, and yes, I accept it, even though we need to give simple good luck a big round of applause. Because we all know of various near misses and accidents and misunderstandings in the Cold War, which could easily have tipped us over the precipice, if not for simple good luck. But at a very basic level, we all saw Hiroshima and Nagasaki. We all know what these dreadful weapons can do, and no one sane wants that. So, in a sane world, with sane leaders, and with properly functioning technology, and a slug of good luck, there will not be a nuclear war. But what if one of those things was removed? What if the good luck dries up, or unthinkable, surely? We get an unstable, uneducated leader who finds himself in charge of a whopping great nuclear arsenal. Imagine that. What then? Perhaps then, global nuclear war does become plausible, thinkable, one day even imminent. In that scenario, what role does the neutron bomb have then? Well, in such a scenario, the unstable and uneducated leader might want to escalate matters and surge ahead into war, confident that because deterrence has always worked, it will continue to work. And therefore, he can surge ahead into a conventional war, confident that his enemy will not use a nuclear bomb against him, because deterrence works, right? So he can go off and do what he likes, without the risk of pushing things into a nuclear conflict, because nuclear war is unthinkable, and therefore... That deters nuclear war. But what about chucking a few neutron bombs around? A few small ones dropped here and there to halt a tank advance. That's not unthinkable. That's not in the same league as a thermonuclear weapon which can take out a city. And so there's no ironclad nuclear taboo on a tiny little neutron bomb. So therefore a leader no matter how stupid or ignorant, just can't be confident that if he goes to war, there'll be no neutron bomb attack from an enemy. He might, of course, gamble that they wouldn't hit me with nuclear bombs because deterrence, the taboo, but he can't relax and think they won't hit me with neutron bombs. Arguably, therefore, the neutron bomb is a weapon which might be used. It is not, from, from a military point of view, hampered by the fear and dread and associations that ordinary nuclear bombs have. And so the Times said, let's press ahead with a neutron bomb. Even though it's a monster who kills people slowly and horribly, the fact is it's a deterrent which might be used. And therefore, it's a far more sound deterrent. 
than the atomic or hydrogen bomb. Because the neutron bomb isn't quite so world-ending and horrific, it might be used. And the fact that it might be used hopefully deters us from plunging into something which is world-ending and horrific. That's the end of this week's episode, but uh, tomorrow I interview the author and scientist Lewis Dartnell, who wrote one of my favourite non-fiction books. It's called The Knowledge, How to Rebuild Our World from Scratch. I'm going to speak to him about his book from a nuclear war perspective, obviously. That's my thing. But of course the book is relevant right now due to coronavirus, because it looks at how we patch things up and remake things and create things when the experts and the technology and the old methods have all been smashed or lost. So you can look forward to that cheery discussion in our next episode. I also want to thank the kind people who have signed up to my Patreon this week. I've been so pleasantly surprised to see new people sign up. Um, I'd assumed with things as uncertain as they are that I would see people cancelling their donations, but no, instead... I've had four new people sign up this week. So thank you to my new patrons, the the no-name kid, Tom, Sarah LeClaire and Lisa Hughes. If you want to contribute some cash to my podcast each month, and it can be as small uh, or as large as you want, please do look at patreon.com forward slash Atomic Hobo. And thank you to all of my dear patrons. And do remember to tune in for our next episode with Lewis Dartnell. Uh, about rebuilding civilization. I will be reading some extracts from the book during the episode, so don't worry if you don't yet have a copy. And that's all for now, and thank you all for listening. <laughs> <laughs>